1: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie. Today is Sunday, December 10th, and we are recording this via Spaces and YouTube. For those of you guys listening live, be sure to submit your questions, and we can look into those as the show goes along. I'll be joined by Brian and Spencer today. Uh, We're going to quickly recap the game against the Raptors on Friday night. We're going to share some trends that we've been noticing. Uh, We have... I guess, a quarter of the way through the season. And then we will answer a listener question about Mitch Kupchak towards the end. So we will get into that. Uh, Spencer, Brian, I don't know if I've asked you guys this question yet. And maybe Spencer probably feels strongly about this. But what do you guys think about the the Panther situation and
2: the firing and all that (laughs) stuff? uh, And how that's going, Spencer? Yeah, uh, not going great. I was pretty optimistic about the Frank Reich hire, honestly. Like, I thought it was it was very, very different from the Matt Rule hire. But I thought that this would be a good kind of reset uh, coaching philosophy hire for Carolina. And that obviously has not played out to be the case. Didn't play out to be the case at all. I, you know, I'm not like... Uh, I I'm not lighting the torch on fire and ready to like raid the stadium. Like I think a lot of the fan base is with David Tepper. I mean, I think that he thinks that he's smarter than he is certainly, uh-huh. but I, I give him credit. Like the guy's aggressive. All right. He made a really aggressive, uh, you know, hire with Matt rule in that contract. Uh, it, it was a, it was a risk. It didn't pay off. You know, he traded away or gave the green light to trade away a ton of future assets and, 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 and draft capital to go get Bryce, Young so far, that doesn't look good. But again, he was aggressive. Like, you know, a lot of things have not gone his way. So it's easy to say this guy is just way over his head. Um, I'm not ready to write him off as an owner. Um, he's, he's running a little bit like a business, you know, and from, uh, you know, coming from big business hedge fund world, this is not the wow. same. And he's going to have to get out of the way and let people do their jobs, much like we have talked about with MJ on this show. But I do think eventually... His aggression is going to pay off. It just hasn't yet. So that's kind of my two cents on this whole situation.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where he is heavily involved, but to the point to where like he doesn't really know too much about football and he's making decisions kind of like willy nilly. But I, th- I think the fact that he is aggressive that could pay off, like you're saying, Spencer. But uh, I I think he is probably the root of some of these issues that are that are occurring. And uh, Frank Reich, Again, I, I agree. Was, I, I was probably excited to a certain extent, uh, but he just. He laid an egg. I think I think his overall enthusiasm did not show up. He just seems a little bit too laid back. And obviously, the firing is just taking uh, a little bit too late for anything to happen late in the season. And obviously, the Panthers have been eliminated from playoff contention. And the worst thing about this, we've mentioned this before, is the fact that they don't have a first-round pick. So that, that's what makes it even more.
3: <laughs> yeah. Last, thing, last yeah. thing I would the add. Number, the the yeah. number one pick, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> last thing I would add
2: on... On the whole Panthers thing, I you know, the Bryce Young experience so far, I'm not out on him, but I have certainly the last three or four weeks started to come to a realization like even if he had better weapons and a better offensive line, the dude just looks like he swallowed up out there like he just I didn't expect it to jump out to me as much as it has this year. He's so small.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first off with a guy like uh, first off, I'm like totally checked out on the seats I have been for a while now. So take any analysis I have with a grain of salt. I mostly just see like the sadness on Twitter after the games. end. but um, yeah, with a guy like Tepper, God, some of these dudes just, they just don't listen to anyone. Just no one's there to tell them no. And the Panthers are going to have to figure out like what the decision making apparatus looks like. I mean, every pro team does. Um, it's something the Hornets are going to have to sort out too under, under new ownership. And, uh, you know, could certainly see a, a new front office, you know, coming into the, to, to, to the Hornets, uh, within the next, you know, six to 12 months or whatever as well. Yeah. It's just like, you don't have anything in the NFL until you have like the quarterback situation figured out and like some stability, I guess, in the head coaching position and like Tepper has tried a couple of different things and they've all been like, really, um they've all been like a little trigger happy, like trying to like, you know, instantly microwave a quarterback with Stan Darnold or Baker Mayfield. And then finally deciding that like, no, the draft is actually the, like, the correct way to do that, which is like the right assessment. But then completely just losing out on any type of like, you know, overall team building value by just lighting a bunch of picks on fire so you can move up what one slot or a couple of slots or whatever um and then also like I mean who knows right now like Bryce may end up being good but the fact that he looks like the third or fourth best quarterback at this point of that draft class and that's again you used stuff to move up to get him it's just a it's a disaster and to have someone like me who was like once a very dedicated fan just like thrilled and relieved to like, not have this team be a part of my weekends now. Um, Yeah. Sort of speaks to just like where I think the team has gone the last handful of years. It's not all on Tepper, but certainly like a a lot of that blame does, does land on this doorstep.
1: All right. uh, Let's get into the Hornets game. The reason why people are tuned into our podcast. (laughs) Hornets did beat the Raptors on Friday night by three points. They blew a 20 point lead. I think this loss would have uh, really stung if they had you know, went on to lose this game. Uh, you know, the Raptors probably only spent like three, four, or five minutes of this game actually leading, uh, but they did outscore the Hornets by ten in that fourth quarter. And I think, you know, we were just talking about this pre-recording. I did not expect the Hornets to win this game with the way that the momentum was shifting in that final period. But by the same breath, I think you've got to be impressed with the way that the Hornets fought back late and pulled this one out. They are the only team in the NBA with five wins and games decided by three points or less. I think for the Raptors, Scotty Barnes was awesome, uh, finishing with a triple-double for them. His defense is impactful. They also ran a lot of pick-and-roll action in that final quarter, and they were targeting Terry Rozier late in the game. So for as good as Terry is on the offensive end uh, as as a clutch player, the Raptors kind of took note of him and, and went after him and and used Barnes as a passer, a shooter, a scorer uh, to try to target Terry Rozier. But uh, in terms of the Hornets, I, the one player that I want to start with, it was not the leading scorer, but I wanted to start with Brandon Miller. I, I think that when I watched him in this game, other than the 20 points and the five rebounds and the three assists, and I know that we've talked about this before, but the biggest thing for me is not necessarily the stat line with him. It's like the comfort level and not having the moment feel too big for him. I, mean, I know this is just a regular season game, but being a rookie, more often than not, he's making the right read. He's he's running the lanes. He's filling the court. It lo- almost looks like he's a three, four-year four-seasoned vet kind of coming into this, his relocation skills, the way that he drifts and and lifts and the way that he moves is just very much a positive for me. And the last thing that I'll say before I pass it to you guys when it comes to Brandon Miller is that he also is aggressive when he needs to be. Like I know that he's a three-point shooter, but he tries to get inside the paint, tries to draw fouls and I think he drew four fouls uh, on Friday night, which was second on the team. So when I watch him play, it, it it's the stat line, but it's also the fact that he just looks so comfortable out there and nothing speeds him up.
3: Yeah, he makes really good, like, quick decisions, when like when to make the extra pass, whether it's in half court, a scramble situation, or in transition. We've touched on that a few times this year, but he had a big – um uh, Rozier hit, like, a wing three – out of after a, on a second chance opportunity for the Hornets where the ball, I think Richards knocked it out. Hayward got it. He kicked it to Miller defense rotated. He kicked it to his left or his ear hit a, hit a huge three. And yeah, I mean, as that game was sort of spiraling away for the Hornets, like one of the reasons why I didn't think Charlotte like, uh, uh, was going to actually like, once they gave them the lead, like I thought they were cooked, not just because like they're a really bad defensive team, but like, Toronto just kept pressing this button that was working like the Malachi Flynn, the Dennis Schroeder pick and roll with Scotty Barnes and Barnes just cooking every different coverage. The Hornets threw at him as a passer and a play finisher. But um, my favorite play with Miller in this game wasn't like the little, like big three he had late in the game when he, when um, I think it was either Rozier or Hayward pick and roll. And he, on, he was on the left wing. He, he had little shake action, You know, relocates up the wing and it's a big contested three off a little bit of movement. But earlier in the fourth quarter, or no, 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 in the third quarter, actually, with like probably like three, four minutes to play, Charlotte had a baseline out of bounds play and they ran a little like screen to screener action for Miller. He went up, he set a back screen, then he was trying to come off of a pin down to get it into the left to catch into the the right corner. Um, And whoever was guarding him, I think it was probably Ananobi. Uh, sort of, like, bumped him off his spot a little bit. And Miller, like, had to deviate from the design to be able to, like, go get the inbounds pass as the, you know, you're getting three, four, you know, approaching that five-second count. Um, and then the catch-and-shoot wasn't there, but immediately uh, Richards goes over, sets a little, like, snug pick-and-roll, and Miller, you know, takes the dribbler or two to his left, gets not all the way downhill, but get, turns the corner enough, then hits, like, a little runner-floater, maybe, like, a step or so outside the paint. Um, just, like, a really big-time play to sort of, like, fight through the contact, uh, make the simple, like, obvious play of making sure that the ball gets inbounded and then going and making a play. Um, I still think, like, the live dribble creation stuff with him is does leave a little bit to be desired. Like, the, you know, the, 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 he settles a lot for for pull-up twos or pull-up threes. He's still struggling with contact, but like pretty much everything else is like awesome. <laughs> he's been like, he's been, and even, even with some of that live ball stuff, like he still has flashes for sure. But like a- everything else has been really good. I mean, he's been excellent on spot ups this season. Um, probably the, probably the best on the Hornets team in terms of spot up, uh, efficiency amongst the high volume guys. But yeah, one, uh, one two points per spot up possession. He shot it really well off the catch. Um, mm-hmm. And he shot it well, coming off handoffs and off of screens too. So uh, he's been he's been outstanding. And as we said, I think the other week, I, I think pretty safely, like a top four or five rookie uh, mm-hmm. this season in this draft class, which is very, very, very encouraging.
2: Yeah, the Hornets they nailed this pick.
3: Um,
2: and you know, we'll, we'll wait and see with Scoot. He's certainly off not not off to a great start. And <laughs> I think all of us on this pod would have made. Uh, Or at least a few of us would have made this good selection, but we'll we'll wait and see. I mean, who cares now? Brandon Miller's, um, you know, Richie, you were. I think this is what you were kind of touching on, but his feel for the game is IQ. I always call it just pace. His pace for the game. It's like he's he's just moving around at a very very comfortable speed out there, right? And that's just the sign of 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 a player that is comfortable. That you know that is very again very high IQ uh, reacts as things are happening around him. Uh, his relocation skills. You know his his catch and put it on the floor. Uh, keep the ball moving skills. You know, obviously his length helps him catch. You know the the bomb that Rozier threw him or the uh, the time bomb Rozier threw him at the end of the shot clock late in the game, and he's easily able to step into that shot and make a make a huge shot. And then on top of all those things, what impresses me the most about Brandon Miller is he's just a dog. Like that dude is there to compete, uh, and he's there to make the tough winning plays Uh, you know the getting that jump ball with Boucher late in that game after Boucher goes up grabs that rebound clearly has it is coming down and Miller just doesn't give up on the play right like you this this probably sounds like hyperbole and I don't mean it to be but you just don't see a lot of guys in the league make that play very often I think mostly because there is just a tighter whistle in the NBA but Boy, I, I love that kind of stuff, and that's the kind of stuff this roster has lacked for a long time to me. So I love that Brandon Miller, you know, really brings that. But it's it's just like very evident that he's going to be a really really good player, and I would I would if I had to bet on it, I, I'm definitely betting this is the guy's going to be an all star in his career, probably a multiple time all star. You know, Brian touched on the <clears throat> creation with the ball off the dribble. He does, you know, his dribble is not tight yet, not as tight as it could be. Uh, I think a lot of this uh, is his lack of physicality too. Uh, as he puts muscle back on, uh, as he gains more weight, I do think that he's going to be able to use his stronger frame to be a better on-ball creator. But right now, um, he just he doesn't have that to tap into. But look, like I was not expecting this kind of production out of him this early, and all of a sudden, blink. Last 10 games, he's shooting 50% from beyond the arc. So that was the one weakness thing we were pointing at, saying, hmm, when's the shot gonna come around? What's here? Uh and I just I just love how you know Brian talked about this too, his catch and shoot ability, his off ball movement. I mean, being able to consistently unlock that from beyond the arc is is pretty awesome. So I really like him. I like him a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it was on tape at Alabama. I think I got fooled by that system. I just thought that that was such a tailor-made, up-tempo system that played into his strengths that I I wasn't sure how much that was going, going to translate. And not only does it translate, but I also underestimated how much of a competitor, a consistent competitor, Brandon Miller is.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales event. So give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.
3: Yeah, he's. I think he's been good in all the ways that I thought he would be good. And he's been weak in the ways that, like, I was, like, concerned with, like, the half-court finishing, the half-court creation stuff. But the stuff that he's been good at, he's just been, like, I don't know, like, 10, 15, 20% better than I thought he was going to be. Plus, he's got the, like, quick decision-making. Plus, he's just the best wing defender on the roster already um and so he knows how to play he can you could have him on the court at the end of games he can guard different positions his defense on Ananobi was awesome against Toronto Ananobi's a a tank and a really good like a really good two-way player I thought Miller absolutely like was up to that up to that challenge um yeah I think I too would bet on Miller making a couple all-star games at some point in his career I don't know if he'll ever be like a star in the sense of you know, he's going to run a million pick and rolls per game and just you give him the ball and immediately a top 10 offense is going to spawn out of that. But there are a lot of examples of wings that are really good secondary players that can be, that can carry an offense for stretches of time that use their size and their shooting to be the thing that really gets it done offensively for them. But the, but that end up making a couple of all-star games that, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess Michael Bridges hasn't made one yet, but like that archetype or the Luau Dang or just like there are those types of players that end up making a couple of all star games, even if they were never like the one or the one a guy on a on a roster. And like maybe Miller does get to that. But um, at this point, I feel at least pretty confident in thinking like he sets up really nicely to be like an excellent second or third, you know, secondary, you know, uh, creator plus a guy that you still funnel a ton of offense through because of the because of the shooting and the movement shooting and the, and like the quick decision making as a passer
1: yeah, you guys both mentioned it, but the physicality is something that will have to come with him. And he in this game, he had several turnovers, like travels and double dribbles, and some of that is tightening the handle, but some of it also is just the strength where he doesn't get affected, where he gets pushed off his drives, and he starts to lose his handle a little bit more, and he has to, um, you know, get off balance and stuff like that. So I think the the strength will solve plenty of issues for him. And the last player I want to mention in this game, uh, mainly because of the uh, The on-court stuff, but I do have a question about him too as well, and you know that I had to get him in here, is Gordon Hayward. Finished with a team-high 24 points, four rebounds, four assists. And I think for as much slack and criticism that he receives when he does poorly, I don't feel like the same energy is returned when he plays well. And the one thing that I've noticed this year in terms of like just – his ability in terms of you know maybe his strength this year is kind of getting to the rim. He was 4-4 in the restricted area against the Raptors. He's very crafty with those slow, elongated steps to kind of gather around the rim and and finish around opponents because he's not going to finish over opponents. But another reason I do bring up his name, and I would love to get you guys' thoughts on this, uh, people are waiting for a trade for the Hornets, and I think many people think he should be the first to go or, or at least put some feelers out there for him. And he very well could do that. Like I think that his name will probably be, you know, centered around trades as we get closer to January and February. But I I wonder, you know, considering his salary, considering it's going to take multiple players to come back and return, and and these players are probably not going to all be expiring contracts like his. Do you guys feel it would be worthwhile for the Hornets to kind of look for something for Hayward, or
2: do you think it's just better to let his contract fall off? Oh, I—I I mean, I—I th- I think you have to <clears throat> play the market here. Uh, I mean, he's an expiring contract, so I—I I would expect the Hornets to listen to every call that they get. As you've mentioned, Richie, I mean, the, the problem is just going to be his number. You know, it's north thirty million dollars this year. What what kind of package are the Hornets looking for? Right? Are they looking for expiring contract or? contracts that a distressed asset, if you will, you know, in two players, you know, around 14, 15, $16 million to make the money work and then get a draft asset on top of that. Are they looking for a distressed, distressed asset in terms of a young player that they feel like they can bring in and revive? Um, You know, so it's just, it's, it's that, that's the question. What is their ask? What is their asking price? Is it a real guy or is it just a few contracts that'll come off the books in a few years so they can get, some draft capital, but I think that they're going to play the market. I think that Gordon Hayward will have lots of interest. He's playing. I mean, there are a ton of playoff teams in both conferences that he could help a lot right now. Um, I mean, I, every time I (laughs) flip on a game on league pass, I'm like, how could Gordon Hayward fit here? (laughs) You know, so I'm doing that exercise in my head a lot. Um, Yeah, it's, but that number is going to make it difficult. It might even require a third team, you know, because I think that, making the money work is going to be hard enough for other teams. So finding that asset that makes it worthwhile for the Hornets might have to come from somewhere else. Uh, And that might be what makes this really difficult. And look, if the Hornets, you know, by the trade deadline are within, and I don't think they will be, but if they are (laughs) within six, seven, eight games from 500, well, history tells us, especially with the GM that is, needs to make the playoffs and win a playoff round to even have a chance to keep his job, uh, there's a chance he might just retain this asset and, and take it to the finish line too. So there's a lot of moving, a lot of moving parts here. So I would, to, to put a bow on it and then I'll turn it to you, BG. I would say that the chance is the Hornets trade with all that said, Gordon Hayward is probably still around like 25,
3: 30%. Yeah. I just think given the franchise, given the, the price tag, like given his or sort of like his contract that he's not an easy player to move. And if there's not a ton of fire or interest coming from within the team to move him, you know, uh, it's just it's it's hard to see. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily wouldn't bet on it, uh, him being shipped, but they should absolutely be looking to to move him. It would be irresponsible to not be taken and making calls um, like Spencer said and I mean, Richie just mentioned this too. He's he's been awesome this year. <laughs> like he's been really really good. Twenty two percent usage, nineteen percent assist rate. He shot it well from pretty much everywhere on the court. You can play out, you can play finish, but you can also play make with him in the pick and roll or in the post. You've seen the Hornets without Lamelo really leaning on both those parts of Hayward's game. Like they're they're really playing out of that like mid post a lot right now with Hayward and and PJ and, and Bridges for that matter. But you know the Hornets have never under this uh, front office have never really looked to make like these kinds of in-season trades, right? Where they're trying to like hunt future value. that just had even even when the front office seemingly had like more runway to work with under a previous ownership. So it seems unlikely that it's something that they would uh, they would actually be able to see through and accomplish. But um, again, Hayward can help a lot of teams. The Sixers are are a roster. Where I don't even think you get a third team involved, you could probably find a deal, and they could certainly use a Gordon Hayward type. You think he would actually would fit very well mm-hmm. as like the third guy with Maxi and an MB playing at you know an MVP level again. But I could see a lot of other teams where yes, you would need to you need to get a, a, you know multiple parties involved to actually facilitate a Hayward deal. So um, the only thing is. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and then Richie, you brought it up in the in the Buzzbee like group text this week. Like the Hornets are so thin, like um, outside of the top five. I mean, right, especially with Lamelo out. Like they're really just leaning on like six, seven players tops. That if you move Rozier and Hayward, which again, I think they absolutely chop those guys, like the they'll just fall off. Like, I mean, they're already not a very good team, but like, there's just no one really that's ready to like come in and like immediately absorb those minutes. I mean, you can like push the possessions around and give Miller some usage and I guess ch- try James Booknight and give Bryce McGowan's more of an opportunity, but like, they'll crater. Like, they might not be just like Pistons bad, but they might be so, so bad that like I could also see. That also adding to the even even if they're totally out of playoff contention, which they basically are already, I could see them having less interest to in doing that because the product that they'll be putting on the court might just be so bad that they don't even want to uh, pr- pursue something like that.
2: <clears throat> Going a ride with me real quick here, Richie. This is this is your favorite part about what I bring to the pod. If uh, if if your feedback uh, reminds me correctly, so why would you? Let's start with this. Why would you retain Miles Bridges? Amidst everything else. Why would you, to me, you're only doing it to retain the asset, right? Mm -hmm. he's an expiring contract playing. Well, Gordon Hayward, expiring contract playing. Well, Terry Rozier, not an expiring contract. And you're going to have to eat money over the next few seasons. If you're a team taking him on, but very clearly uh, a a player that comes with, uh, with, with utility that you can put onto a playoff team immediately. Okay. So when are the Hornets going to have a, uh, a bag of of goods to sell like this again over the next few seasons. It's not few seasons. It's going to be another contract, you know, another contract cycle or two down the road. I wouldn't rule out. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm just, this is totally idea. I have no knowledge of this or anything like that, but I would not rule out these new owners cutting ties with Mitch sooner rather than later. uh, i.e., before the trade deadline, and putting, bringing someone in or elevating someone already in the front office to make sure that these guys are sold. If the team were to lose three, four or five, you know, if they go out West and they get swept all losses, you, you got to go in sell mode. And you're in, this is the last time the, this roster is going to have veterans that have value on the market for a while. Just look at the roster, look at the cap sheet, you know? So I, just, I don't personally I mean I think we would all agree Mitch is not the guy to strategically uh <laughs> move these guys and and fill the cupboard or at least put something in it but this is an opportunity right now for the hornets as the trade deadline approaches and there is an opportunity cost to keeping Mitch cup check there and not moving on from two of the three all three if they didn't trade at least one of these guys I think it would just be a failure yeah. so just yeah. thought exercise there.
3: No. It's it's a good note because like if it, if they don't do it this cycle, obviously like Rosier moves down, you know, you could kick that can down the road. But like the next one would be like as far as like trading like a starter level player, veteran, is like pushing the big button, right? It's like LaMelo, Mark Williams. It's like it's like it's the guys that are part of the young core right now, but it would be it, it would be like it would be it would be LaMelo. Like it would be the big, the big reset. So this is the sort of way to, if you're going to try to like really do a like proper rebuild around the LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams core, which I would like for them to pursue. This is one of the ways to go out and get more stuff that aren't the current like draft picks you have. And and
2: we're not talking about a teardown, right? We're talking about like a mini or a, or a mediocre whatever reset you know so there is again i just think there's a lot of opportunity cost in not pursuing that now you can't let miles bridges and gordon hayward specifically those two assets you can't just let both of those guys walk to the market this summer that's it's just idiotic and there's already reports out there that miles bridges will not be back in charlotte next year that's not surprising i have an idea if he's allowed to walk to the market he's going to walk straight to the Staples center uh, or excuse me, the crypto whatever it's called now. Um, he'll be in LA because of his rep- representation. You look, we've we talked about this for Kimba about Kimbo. You know, until our eyes bled, and the Hornets hung on to him, and they should have traded him earlier. They got to move one of those guys, if not both of them. It's it's just it's malpractice if they don't yeah i mean lo- losing both hayward and bridges for nothing
1: you know obviously we don't know what the future holds this summer yeah it definitely would be malpractice i just i just worry about hayward's contract and just what it would take to bring incoming players back and and you know if a draft pick would be enough of incentive to make that trade and then trading mm-hmm. bridges is a little bit not it's not challenging by any means but he is he can consent or um basically it's like a no trade clause because he's on a expiring deal. He would lose bird rights if he went to another team. So that team would not you know, retain that. But yeah, that that is why I like you Spencer uh, in terms of giving us these thought exercises, but let's
2: see. I bring something. I bring something just, just, just Zach Levine. I, I, I'm not saying I would love it and we can talk about it more in a, in a trade deadline pod. But I, I do, I do think that starting with Gordon Hayward and, and some kind of deal like that, you can, Pretty quickly, put one together.
3: I I really hope they don't pursue that.
2: <laughs> same, same. I mean, I'm with you. I just like like I would say the Hornets are kind of a team lurking in the weeds there. All right, our next segment here. Uh, we can
1: do this fairly quickly. Uh, I posed this to you guys about bringing some kind of trend that interests you. It could be a team-related trend. It could be a player-related trend. It could be good. It could be bad. Just something recently that has caught your eye with this team that you wanted to note here on the episode before we get to the Mitch Kupchak segment at the, uh, the end of this uh, episode here. So I'll go ahead and start it off just to kind of put this out here. We don't need to spend too much time talking about it, but it's just something that I've noticed over the course of the season. It's PJ Washington in terms of the way that he's been aggressive to start the season and the way that they used him in a short role with uh, Richards or Mark Williams in the dunker spot. And he would attack the space and the paint. He'd either get to a floater or he'd hit the big on a dump off pass. It just felt like he was more aggressive to start the season. And maybe it's a direct correlation with bridges entering, you know, the rotation and how that's affected things. But I do find it interesting that his mentality, it feels like it's changed a little bit in terms of getting to the rim. I feel like it's shifted. So first eight games of the season, and uh, and obviously this is still two games before Bridges came back. Uh, this is from the opener till November 10th. He took four and a half attempts in the restricted area per game and shot 72% in that area. After those eight games, there was a stretch of nine games that lasted till you know early December and he instead of going from four and a half attempts in the restricted area, he's down to one point seven attempts in the restricted area, and he's shooting forty seven percent. Now, his most recent two games against Chicago and Toronto, obviously this is a very small sample size. He's up that back up to three attempts in the restricted area. Uh, the efficiency is still not there, but we'll see where that goes. But I think for PJ, I would like to see that shift to go back to the first, you know, eight nine, 10 games of the season where he can excel in getting to the rim. I think when you think of him initially, he's like, yeah, obviously pick and pop player, but he needs to be a guy that does just more than just that. Like he needs to be a closeout beater. He needs to be a short roll playmaker. He needs to be a guy that gets to his floater game. And I think that will take him a long way as being a guy that's, that's more versatile. And so when I look at that stretch uh, in, you know, middle, middle November till about now, and the fact that he's not getting to the rim as much, is it is it a Miles Bridges thing? Is it a mentality thing? Is it a combination of both? But I would hope that trend would switch back to the beginning
2: of the year. So I, I just wanted to put that out to our listeners. Yeah, and in theory, you would kind of think him coming off the bench would actually give him more opportunity to do some of those things you were talking about, Richie, right? I, I do like PJ coming off the bench because he showed us that he's improved his middle game, that he can put it on the floor and create, that he can play bully ball. You know, uh, once he gets closer to the rim or in the paint. But I I do think it's his like natural in the NBA since he's really sharpened the skill set. His his natural, most comfortable way to fit into an offense is being a catch and shoot player, you know, whether that's pick and pop or and he's become very proficient at it. But he I agree. He has more to offer. So I think that it probably does boil down to kind of being a mentality thing. Um, and look, I mean, he's he's only been the sixth man, you know, kind of moved to the bench. Um, hasn't been that long. So the, the player I was going to bring up um, is Terry Rozier. Uh, you know, he his game doesn't like to the eye test. It doesn't look really any different to me, but he's not turning it over, which he's never been a high turnover player in the league. His assist rate is astronomically larger this year just assists in general than it has been his entire career his usage rate is at a career high and yes we can attribute a lot of that to the lamello injury here as of late but it, you know he's he is not a uh, premier creator of offense but he's getting off the ball he's making quick decisions he's just keeping the offense humming moving to me he's making the simple pass and the simple play and i think when you brandon miller miles bridges you know players like the pj washington these are pretty high iq like get off the ball keep the offense going kind of guys so when when rosier can start that matriculation mm-hmm. um i think it has led to some pretty good offensive games here for the
3: hornets hey bud sorry my kid just walked in so i'm going to turn it over to you now bg <laughs> <laughs> uh i guess spencer's kid had a trend he wanted to get in here on but uh i'll go ahead cut in line um yeah i thought also just like the piggyback on what you guys were talking about with pj he had a couple huge tribes in the second half against toronto last night including one where he drove like went behind his back like on a catch and go and then i think he hit richards in the dunker spot for his slam um he can do a lot of stuff like but but i do agree like his where, where he is best at least with his team currently is probably in like the spacer catch and go role use him in some pick and pops but he is so malleable because he can make quick decisions as a connective passer, he can screen. You know, they do use him as a pick and roll ball handler occasionally. They play him at the 4, they play him at the 5, they play him with all these different player combinations. So like, I mean, he's just a really good young versatile player <laughs> like um and uh but I but I would like to see him not be like totally shoehorned into just like catch and shoot or keep the ball moving and roll cuz like he can he can do some stuff in the middle of the floor too, obviously. Um I think I did want to touch on, and I, I mentioned this very briefly early on, and then I mentioned this Richie on the pod that you, Lee, and I did, or that Lee and I did after the the Lamelo injury, um, where we were sort of talking like what what the offense might look like, like early trends that we were seeing without Lamelo. Um, the Hornets are not a team that like looks to score out of the post up a lot, right? Like that's that's never that's just not what they do. The two centers that they have are. Both really nice. I mean, like you know, uh, Mark Williams and, and uh, Nick Richards are both like very good players, and they're guys that are like they're very effective finishing at the hoop. But the Hornets, as a team, are scoring under zero point nine two points per post up possession. They they almost never post up, according to Synergy. Uh, only two point two percent of their half court possessions have have been used via the post up, and combined. Richards and Mark Williams have—I'm not even sure. Yeah, they; those two guys have combined to, I believe, attempt. Let me look at this real quickly. To attempt, yeah, six shots out of out of a post up so far this season. But
1: does that does that account for like a high-low situation? Do you know?
3: It's, uh, yeah, it's tough to say. I, I don't know. I mean, it should. Like, it should. Like those like duck ins should count. Maybe those get registered as a cut. But those should, in my opinion, be – be like when it's, there's like a seal, that right. should that should, that should be labeled a, a post-up in, in my opinion at least. That's how I would chart that. But the, the real strength of this team right now as far as like offensive personnel goes is that they have several like power wings and hybrid forwards that they can play through, Hayward, Bridges, PJ specifically. Um, and so just looking at Terry Rozier, his shooting numbers – The three guys that have assisted Rozier the most so far this season does not include LaMelo Ball. And obviously injuries have played a role in that because even when LaMelo was healthy, Terry missed some games. But so far this season, Gordon Hayward has assisted 14 Rozier field goals. Most on the team, PJ has assisted seven. Bridges has assisted four. LaMelo Ball, only three assists to Terry Rozier so far this season. But you're just seeing this team play out of the post a little bit more. And on Miles Bridges post-ups, including passes according to Synergy, the Hornets are scoring 1.44 points per possession. On Gordon Hayward post-up possessions, including a pass, they're scoring 0.96 points per possession on, on a decent amount uh, of volume. And I think ultimately that's why they can still be like a decent like clutch. If they can get the game into a clutch situation, they can still be pretty effective because in these half court situations they can like kind of still get a pretty good shot they don't they don't have to turn the ball over they've got like enough shooters um uh especially when they've got you know at all times they're going to have four at least four pretty good shooters on the court unless ish is playing and he's not going to be in the final couple of minutes so we'll just say that's something to keep an eye on this team playing out of the post a little bit more as a means to like set up offense because they don't have like an ace pick and roll creator I, I, at the moment, uh, without Lamelo,
1: yeah, and I it kind of to combine your point with with Spencer's point, I have noticed that Terry Rozier has been giving the ball up a little bit more frequently early on, and I don't know if that's by design. Like you'll see Brandon Miller take the ball off the court, you'll see Gordon Hayward take the yeah. ball, you'll see Miles Bridges take the ball off the court to get Terry Rozier off the ball. Now, obviously, that doesn't account for Terry Rozier's assist rising, but <laughs> point, Ryan, you know to get him off ball as quickly as possible to work out of the elbows, to work out of the, the, you know, the post-ups with the non-bigs uh, and to get him moving off ball. That's what you're going to have to do when the mellows out. And obviously yeah. that's going to be a little bit indefinite as we, as we move forward.
3: One of the things I wanted to mention while I was referring to these post-ups when they're, when they're, especially when they're like on the side or um, sometimes the elbow, especially when they're like mid post, like foul line extended towards the side area is that Rozier's almost the guy to watch. Because when they, when Hayward has the ball with his back-to-the-basket or Bridges or P.J., keep an eye on two guys especially where the center, Williams or Richards, like what they're doing off the ball when someone else is posting up and what Rozier is doing, which is often like they're using the five to screen for Rozier. So you're seeing those like throwback wiper screens, um, but you're just seeing them try to get Rozier loose for movement shooting threes or him to like catch and curl and get downhill but using the post up and Rozier's like off-ball screen usage to sort of like unlock some some movement um, and get some looks in the half court. So like those are two guys again. When these post ups do happen, it, like Rozier's the guy to like keep an eye on. And again, it's often around you know him being wrapped around a screen uh, by the by either Richards or uh, or Williams. Who good to see Mark Williams back in the lineup um, the other night against Toronto.
1: All right, let's get to the final question and segment here uh, in terms of a listener question from longtime listener Keith uh, in the Slack channel. He said, considering past ownership, injuries, market limitations, et cetera, how much blame does Mitch Kupchak deserve and what grade would we give him so far as his tenure is probably heading to an end? Um, So he started in the summer of 2018 that was the SGA slash Miles Bridges draft trade. Um, and it's crazy to think SGA, the way that he's playing, he's probably in consideration for uh, the MVP at this point. But I do wonder, I keep saying this, I do wonder how much of Kimba being on the team led us to you know making that trade versus keeping SGA. But I, I, I want to throw it to you guys in terms of just like his draft history, his transactional history, is there a grade that you would give him? How much blame are you going to put on him versus the market? And looking back on some of his previous drafts, just want to go through this real quickly, and I'll, I'll pass it to you guys. 2018, that was Miles Bridges. 2019 might have been maybe his best draft. PJ, Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels. 2020, that's when Lamella Ball fell in their lap, but they also <laughs> had Grant Riller and Vernon Carey Jr. Uh, Booknight and Kai Jones draft was the year after that in 2021. <laughs> 2022. That was the Mark Williams draft. That's when they had uh, Jalen Duran as well, or had the chance to uh, you know decide between the two or keep both. And then I think McGowan's was the second round pick there. And then obviously the most recent draft was Brandon Miller and Nick Smith Jr. So it's a, it's a hodgepodge. It's a, it's a mixed bag of uh, drafting. Um, and, and like I said, like Ball obviously is the best player, but they didn't really have a decision to make there. So, any thoughts on on Mitch Kupchak's tenure here? I I, I kind of range anywhere from like a, a C to a C plus. I mean, I think there are some outside factors that he can't control, but I also feel like he could have done a little bit of a better job when it comes to not only drafting but maybe selling off some assets as well.
3: Oh, well, let's not forget to Devontae Graham, the yep. 2018 draft pick. Um, and uh jt thor a second round pick in, in 2021 there was also the draft night swap with the pistons in 2021 that brought mason plumley uh to charlotte chewed up some of the hornets cap space took them out of you know i guess the rashawn holmes sweepstakes <laughs> from that summer which is something that we were all heavily uh, emotionally invested in seemingly um yeah, I think I think they've made some good, you know, some some good picks in both the first and second round. Finding guys like McDaniels, Martin, Devontae Graham, um, in the second round have all been like, you know, decent, you know, Nick Richards in the second round. So all been like decent second round picks. Um, you know, so far, I mean I I, I criticized the I thought they should have drafted Scoot, but Miller looks excellent so far. Um so I, I think, like, drafting, they've been okay when they've used the picks, but just, like, what they did in 2022, whether that was mandated from on high, uh, that they wanted to keep uh, not bringing another, like, rookie, sal- rookie salary so they could uh, max bridges and then um, still come in under the tax or whatever, but even before the season started. But, you know, trading the 13th pick to get a bunch of draft fodder, I mean, I guess one of those picks turned into Nick Smith this year, but, like, The 2022 draft is just like an absolute all time head scratcher. And that coming on the backs of the 2021 draft, where it, you know, unless JT Thor turns into a rotation player, and I still think there's a chance for that, even if it's not in Charlotte, is like, um, you know, those being the first two drafts after you pick ball is pretty tough. And if you're wondering like why the roster isn't like built out around Lamelo, where's the depth, where are the other good young players? I mean, like part of it is because on the two drafts after that, they like, they didn't get as much value out of as they could have. Um, you know, they, they whiffed on, on a, uh, you know, they, they whiffed on a lottery pick with book night. Um, and they, they moved another lottery pick with the 13th pick, which was, uh, Jalen, uh, Jalen Durin. So, um, and then, I don't know, I mean, we could do a full other, like, we could probably do a 45-minute podcast, like, fully, like, litigating the, like, Cup check tenure. Obviously, I don't think they've done enough to sort of, like, find value on the margins. I don't think they've, like, done a good job resigning their players, letting guys like Malik Monk walk for nothing. Um, I don't think Mitch has totally, like, I don't, it's not like he hasn't done some decent stuff as far as, like, trades go. Like, the signing trade with Devontae Graham, in the twenty twenty one offseason. I mean, you lose out on a good young guard, I guess, but you do get the fifteenth pick out of that. That turns into Mark Williams. I suppose that's something. Um, maybe he had his hands tied with moving to moving Kemba. Like he sort of got, you know, he sort of arrived Charlotte pretty late in the game. Charlotte has the twenty nineteen All-Star game. They maybe they don't want to move Kemba before that. Um, he ends up at least getting Rozier out of it. And look, if they trade Rozier. For some stuff. Like maybe, maybe that is like, you know, years and years down the road, maybe you do squeeze like a little bit of something out of the, you know, the, the Kemba situation at, at, you know, down the stretch. But I don't know. I don't think like the roster building has been overall that impressive. The inability to find like, you know, secondary ball handlers, backup point guards has been, have been pretty huge failures. Um, I think he's, he's had his hands, he had his hands tied often with, Tough ownership, um and and being in a smaller market. But yeah, I think I'd probably go C minus, like Deontay White is saying here in comments um, oh, a second ago. I think I'd say C minus to C two. Um but I think overall the draft has been okay. It's just when they've actually used the picks, it's been okay. Just 2022 was such a baffling night. Um so yeah, I'll go C minus
2: yeah, I'm I'm fine with the C minus. you know, I don't have a ton to add off of what you guys have already said, other than, you know, I think that he worked for an owner that you know, it, this is a small market team and he was working for an owner that probably wasn't <laughs> as cash rich as a lot of people might expect. and I think they were pinching pennies a lot, um, which the lack of creativity on the trade market and, and asset management, was poor under cupcheck there's no question about that um but i also think that i think <laughs> this is, sorry i'm home alone w- with my kid for everyone that knows so i don't have help to bring him somewhere else but uh I, yeah i i would kind of put a bow on it with cupcheck you know i think he was a pretty good evaluator of talent uh and that that bore out you know over drafts the one time they got aggressive you know with the kai jones selection uh in in that draft none of that paid off but most of his demand most of his marching orders were based around saving money uh I mean the most recent example with Jalen McDaniels I mean that's just here's a great young player that you developed um that you had the bird rights on you could have signed back for a very reasonable contract uh kept in your system and to sell him for basically nothing is just that, that is kind of the the 50,000 foot, like overarching. I'm going to jump off here so the kid can be taken care of. So you guys take this home. Sorry, sorry. we made it most of the episode. Yes, we made it 50 minutes. Um,
1: <laughs> he did good. He did good. Um, yeah. We, we appreciate everyone uh, joining us today. We always appreciate you guys tuning in to the episode. Uh, please make sure you give us a five-star rating and written review on Apple Podcast if you would like uh, to do that as well, um, especially if you like what we do. That's the easiest way and the quickest way to support us. Also, thanks to all our BuzzBeat Plus subscribers who are able to listen to this early and at free. We're going to go ahead and wrap here for Spencer and Brian. I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later.